0: Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash athlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about why manual therapy works. We talk about the Spanish squat and we talk about how to work with non-compliant athletes. The Ask Mike Reinold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reinold Show. I'm up in Boston at Champion PT and Performance. I'm here with Mike Scududo, Dan Pope, Dave Tilley, Lenny McCrina. Our student extraordinaire at the time, right now, Matt M K Kelly, from <laughs> Dalhousie University, up in in the Great Canadian Tundra, Tundra, Tundra. I'm is that tundra? A, great sure. <laughs> is a Tundra? Sure. Is, <laughs> is This your first Canadian student. <laughs> My <laughs> first international. student. <laughs> international. <laughs> yeah, that's student. what we're
1: calling it. <laughs>
0: that's pretty good. We're uh, internationally known up here at Champion yeah. PT in performance, but. Uh, we got some other uh, great questions today, so why don't we kick it off, Matt, what do we got?
2: All right, Robin from Rochester says, with so many theories regarding manual therapy, what are some common myths and truths regarding manual therapy? What do you tell your patients when they ask why you are choosing to perform this procedure and how is it going to help me improve? Uh,
0: this is a good question, I like this. So there's tons of different types of manual therapy out there, like soft tissue techniques and all these types of things, right? So I like that. How do we? When a patient says, "Well, what does this do?" Like, "Hey, Dave, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna rub this metal stick on your body." <laughs> you know, what do you uh, like? And they says, "Why?" Like, well, "What does this do?" What do you do? That's a good question. Why don't we talk about that? Why do talk about like how do you explain it to the patient? What do you think, Dave? You want to start?
3: Um, I th- usually say there's two kind of like competitive thought processes. One is more like is the tissue changing itself, and one is like is it a nervous system kind of thing. So one is like. There are local effects. Maybe it's like blood flow. Maybe there's some like you know relaxation of the muscle from a you know hydration point of view. I guess there's still some thought process in the literature that that's happening at a local effect, but it's probably not changing the actual tissue. I would say that we're kind of leaning more towards like we're affecting the resting tone of the muscle. Maybe we're getting it to relax a little bit because it's a you know it's it's a different input than just like ouch this muscle kind of hurts or feels stiff. So I think that most people are going with like the relaxation effect from like a neurological point of view. But I tell them you know we think that it's relaxing the muscle. We think that it kind of like feel, makes it feel a little bit better. Um, but maybe some blood flow and things like that. I mean, usually I say if it makes you move and feel better, then I think we're, we're useful and we can see objective change. But with patients, I don't go much deeper than that unless they ask them and you kind of get more nitty-gritty.
0: Right. So, I mean, there's tons of different techniques, right? It's, I, I, I always say with these different techniques, it's all what I, I think is most comfortable in your hands. Like, I don't know if one technique is better than another. So I always just group them on in. But um, I don't know. I feel like, um, I, I don't know. The, I, Dave said it well. There's a tissue Uh, probably a a specific tissue response and then a neurological response in there. But I think you can actually find some research on tissue response. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not, we're starting to poo-poo that whole concept and just go straight to tone and stuff like that. And I think that's certainly involved. But um, there's definitely, you know, different changes in, like, blood flow, flow chemicals, like, you know, there's definitely some changes in there. I I think we just don't know still. I think we don't know. But um, the the more important thing to me is you look at research reports is, again, like Dave said, people feel better and move better after. You know, so, all right. So that being said, I don't know. If somebody... I don't know. Going back to the question, it says here, you know, how do you how do you explain why you're choosing that one to the patient? Does it matter? Do you, you know, are you the kind of guy? I mean, what do you do, Mike? Are you the kind of guy that says this technique's the best for this reason, or like what? How do you how do you say it to them?
2: Um, I kind of explain what our goal of the treatment is. Um, if, if I'm going to try and affect a specific movement, I'd want to test and then retest the movement, and see if we made improvements, and if we did, I think patients typically buy into that um, treatment we didn't really affect anything, uh, I think we can change our treatment. I don't try and sell anything as, as the best treatment. I think it's, it's open for discussion.
0: I think that's, that's a great way of saying it too the, the the whole reassessment process you just say like hey you know we're doing this because yeah. on your exam I found this so I'm going to try this and then hey look it's different now we reassessed yeah. I mean it's not to powerful. be at
3: home we talked about in another episode though like there's a huge research report and like what made people improve and feel better is what they thought was going to make them better yeah. and right. all the needling, cuffs, tools so if they're like I hate chiropractors you know I got my neck cracked cracking good like, I hate PTs they dug me with that tool I didn't like that like I'm not going to do that first
0: right yeah that's a good point
1: on how you choose so awesome should all I think it's all should be assessment based, right? Like something like uh, Terry's major is, is a good muscle that we can work on because we can affect a change in that muscle where it's hard to stretch on your own. So yeah. I would say there's a couple good muscles where manual techniques <clears throat> are going to be very useful. Um, I did read a um, editorial by Joel Bielaski, who's huge in like the uh, central sensitivity sensitivity world. He was talking about um, manual techniques as a placebo effect. I know this is like a really kind of sensitive subject, but. I'm okay with that in a small sense because part of it is that we're trying, to, we're trying to have buy-in with our patients. If they really believe in something we're doing, we give them the hope. We show them they can move better and feel better. That's starting that really important process of kind of breaking this pain cycle and getting them on a better path. It's not like we're just rubbing on them all day long. We're giving them good exercise interventions, but um, from a perspective of what I'm doing with my hands, I don't know that I'm actually making a huge change right there on the table, but I'm influencing the way they think and I'm help, helping them believe that they can improve. And that's important
2: to me. Well yeah. Well said. That's yeah. what I was going to say. Just I, I, yeah.
0: I think we do manual therapy on everyone. Is there anyone, when's the last time you haven't done manual therapy on someone and you For just free. just did exercise? I mean, I think we always put it together, I feel like. I mean, I can't imagine the last person that just came and in and I think just it exercise. depends on how
3: you define manual therapy, too. To me, moving somebody's shoulder, stretching them out, engaging with them, seeing how their day's going, all that stuff, it doesn't have to be I'm digging in and like recreating the wheel on their lat or their QL. It's, to me, it's just, <laughs> it's movement and it's just kind of engaging with the person. So to me, that's manual therapy as well. Yeah, it's yeah. passive range of motion manual therapy. Like, yeah, I consider that. Yes. I would say, yeah. You're not doing nice. passive range of motion. Range of motion, stretching. <laughs> <Yeah>. I certainly <laughs> don't have somebody come in and say, hey, what's going on? Go out and exercise. I'll see you in an hour. That does not happen. All of us are, you know, <laughs> but it happens in some places where some people are like, yeah, get on the bike and we'll go through your stuff.
2: The bike, the bike warm <laughs> Right. The arm yeah. bike up. Classic. Yeah, we just don't. One that's unit. Classic. Right. All right, now what's yeah. next? Uh, Mary Kate from New Jersey says, "Hi, Mike and friends. Love the show. Friends, I've like been like over the past few Mary weeks. People. Thank you. I've seen a lot of people talking about the Spanish squat. What are some reasons Whoa. to utilize this exercise?
0: <laughs> the Spanish <laughs> I squat. Have no the is I, I Is that like with a tilde? I, so I, so I did <laughs> Google <laughs> the old. Spanish squat. I wonder why it's called. Why, why? Why? Yeah. Why? is what's, what's the Spanish <laughs> squat. So yeah. I googled it. Demonstrate. <laughs> ladies, <laughs> ladies, Google <laughs> it. Hold on. Hold on
3: Spanish squash comes up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 it's a wonderful, wonderful side dish. <laughs> all right, so I looked up the Spanish squat because, in all honesty, I didn't understand what a Spanish squat was. Um, uh, but anyway, oh, yeah. I um, it's, know name, it's almost like a reverse wall squat, right? So you're you're ah. you're standing up and you have a band or strap or something attached in front that goes around like your your proximal tibia, tibia, and you sit back into it I'm with in this here. position. So all, it helps you balance, and so you get a bit of a posterior weight. Um, it's it a massive anterior glide in the and, tibia. Now. And, and you do a you do an isometric essential contraction of your quad. It's like a reverse wall squat. So you do a wall squat sliding down the wall. This is facing the wall with a band attached between the wall and your legs to give you a counterpoint it, no balance And there. Google it, you know. It's like a pattern assist? It's, a, it's on the YouTube. Not, I. So the first thing I thought of when I saw this is I'm not sure why this is better than a wall squat.
3: Why have I seen it with, like, isometrics for tendinopathy, you know? Have I yeah, versus, it's, iso- it's, it, like it's a an
0: isometric yeah. quad contraction, just I like a wall squat. I guess squat. with a wall squat, you have the wall supporting
3: you versus just this band around, you know what I mean? It's just... More involved. It's more your control, your core control, so your your control. Yeah, I give you that. Maybe okay. that's the progression a from wall to, right. to the Spanish squash squat. Right. Does that does that something to do with the like the anterior glide of the tibia. Does that help at all, or like the band? It, is rolling, I, like, I affecting guess. roll know. slide. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. Bands do that. Right. Exactly. I don't know. Asking for a friend.
0: So to me, it allows you. So it's a counterbalance, right? It allows you to get some weight shifted posteriorly in that in that position. So all it is is an isometric quad contraction. So if, if you're doing isometrics and, and that's an important part of your treatment progression, then I think it's valid. I don't see a reason not to do it. I'm just really struggling to find why it's any different than a wall squat. I'm sure, we'll have similar responses. Somebody tweet well. and tell us why uh, a better reason it's better than a wall squat. I'd Love I, to learn. I can't. Uh, I can't imagine why it's better than a wall squat. Maybe like Lenny said, it's just it's less it's it's less controlled. You know, so maybe that's a benefit. But anyway, so so I don't think we have a good answer for you, but
2: something.
0: Um, yeah, I'm not against it. I've just yeah. Been anyway. interesting.
2: All right, Matt. What do you got? Uh, Matt from Kentucky says, First and foremost, thank Thanks. you for your contributions to the physical therapy community. In my relatively young career, one hurdle I've frequently encountered is a non-compliant adolescent athlete whose parents demonstrate a submissive personality. For example, despite extensive education provided in regard to return-to-play status." The athlete continues to participate while the parents do not hold them them accountable. Any advice or insight with facilitating compliance with this patient population?
0: This is a pretty cool question. So uh, a young athlete or a youth athlete that, as a physical therapist, it sounds like we're giving them some some recommendations maybe that they're not able to return to play yet. And the athlete is just saying, uh, I'm going to do it anyway. And the parents are letting them. So, um, Dave, let me see. You have a lot of um, submissive parents. Uh, one, so, Dave works with quite a bit of youth with gymnastics. I mean, do you, do you ever find this? Do you, do you find where people, you know, just disregard your advice and want to keep going? And how do you handle it?
3: Yeah, I think that. Uh, I mean, it exists in all. I guess like age groups and in, in levels of, you know, intensity of how much they want to train and stuff. But it tends to happen with athletes that are, you know, young and naturally talented, and their parents think they're really on an accelerated track and. They kind of just want to keep training for whatever it is, and um, I mean, just like what was, what was his name? Uh,
2: Matt. Matt.
3: Matt. Just like Matt. I mean, I my first years out too. I was like, I felt bad because I was like, well, I'm doing all this research to help you, and you're just kind of blindly going against it. And they would they would get hurt or something would happen, and then they would kind of pin it on you in a little bit of a way you're like, oh, well, like well, we're just going to try something else, but. I got to the point where I all you can do is educate someone. Really, you can just like have an honest conversation and be very transparent with them. I think it's very important to be like, so you're you're hiring me to help you, right? And I'm giving you my best advice. Here's the broad spectrum of what could happen. You could go back, you could be just fine. Maybe nothing happens and you're okay. Or you could go back and have a catastrophic re injury where you lose the entire year. And I think that I never like scare people with that. I'm just very honest.
0: Catastrophic is scary.
3: Yeah. Well. It's, it's what happens, you know. Cash. People go back too early, and they, I don't yeah. want to. I just want to be honest. I'm like, you could go right. back early and blow your ACL again. That's a realistic thing that could happen. But you could go back and be fine. Nobody I, really knows.
0: I like that. I think that's a good start. So I think it start. How do you handle this? It? it starts with education. Mm-hmm. So it starts with educating the patient and the parents right. as to you know, hey, this is you know not good or this is bad for you, and here's some of the potential ramifications. And, and one
3: thing I will definitely recommend is have the conversation separate from parent and the athlete I think it's really hard when they're in the treatment table together and the kids sitting there and the moms sitting there and they're all trying to get the story straight. Sometimes you have to have a separate conversation with the parents away from the kid. I think that's very important. Yeah, with
0: the parents. Yeah. Correct. I was gonna say not with kid, no, with the parents. No, no, with, with the, the parents. parents. well maybe with the parent with the kid right. too. You, know, you can
3: be honest with them too. Right. Let them know. But
0: right. what do you, what do you guys do anything else? I mean, this doesn't have to go just to young athletes, but I mean, yeah. you know, but you know, the person not taking our advice, we're saying, "Hey, you can't return to X." And they're saying, "Well, I'm going to do it anyway."
1: yeah I. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I really agree with what you I have to say Dave here I think communication is really important but I think it's also one of those things where you probably have to start that process early on and just make sure you're talking to the parents I mean work with young kids and it's very challenging. I think this is really hard, especially for kids that aren't necessarily motivated to do the work they need to do to get back. They get to a certain point, and they're like, okay, let's go play, even though they're not necessarily ready. Right. Um, I think building rapport with parents early on is important and continuing to do that. Every single session we worked on this, this still needs to be improved upon. We need to work on that. And also maybe hammering it down from the physician perspective. So a lot of times you're not going to listen to the physician, or excuse me, the uh, physical therapist, but they'll listen to the doctor. Right? There's been so many times where doctors are like, you need 20 more visits of physical therapy. I'm like, all right, perfect, we're going to do this. Um, whereas I was telling them they need more work and they, they don't necessarily listen. Right. I feel right. like I want to hear, I mean, you guys do this a ton with, like, the high school baseball guys with, like, elbow injuries
0: and stuff. Like right. Well, it's, uh, so what we, what we do is it starts with education with mm. you, if it takes extra convincing with there, but you know, I, I'm going to go back on you, Matt, and I think I'm going to say a little bit here is, is sometimes you get to remember that they're hiring you, like Dave said, it's a good terminology, they're hiring you to help them get back in the field. And if they're perceiving you as being inhibitory mm. uh, of, of that, then you got to wonder if you're know, like, maybe is your criteria to return too strict? Are you that guy that nobody, you know, that people aren't going to want to go to you? Look, I've worked with tons of athletic trainers where the players don't want to tell them anything hurts because they know they're going to get benched, and Mm -hmm. that's a problem. Like um, they got to know that your goal is to help them get out there as fast as possible, right? And I think it starts with that. Now, with baseball, you know, I guess we just have a little more clout. You know, we can just say, look, you know, we can. I, I always tell people, I never say you can or can't do anything. I say. If you were my son, I'd say that sometimes to the parents, and I'd also say, "Look, if if I were you, I I would do this." And here's exactly why, like education-wise, and then i would tell them, like, if I really feel like you should be playing, I I would say something like, "I you know, look, if you want to play, that's I get it, it makes sense to me. I think you're crazy." I think the risks and the rewards aren't aren't are weighing each other here. I think you're crazy, but like yeah. you know, that's you know. You, you um, I, mean, say I don't think it's in your best interest, too, which I think frames it really well. Yeah. I, well, the other thing that I'm good at that I do with with some of my patients, it's almost like we help them plan like the calendar year. You say like, okay, what what are we in a rush for right now to mm-hmm. get back? You don't need to. Your season doesn't start for six more months, or what are you rushing for now? There's you know, there's nothing. Why don't we go a little slower, or you know, that type of thing. So you you get to have a broader spectrum. Once okay. you do that, I think there's buy-in and some trust and stuff but I don't know I did a part of me though Matt I'm going back to Matt here part of me is just wondering are you too strict yeah. you know are you the guy that's always like no you can't play until you're perfect I think in sports medicine you got to find ways to get people out there and to maximize their capacity and you know in pro sports for example nobody's healthy I mean I don't think anybody's 100% healthy any day you know so something to think about so awesome one more that's it. Oh, that's it? Yep. What an episode. It just flew right by. So uh, thanks again, guys. Appreciate it. Head to MikeRynell.com. Click on that podcast link and ask us some questions. Anything you guys want to talk about, PT, fitness, sports, performance, business, sports, anything you want to talk about, just let us know. But ask us some great questions. A ton are coming in. And we love them. It's awesome. Go to iTunes, rate and review, and we'll see you guys on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeRynell.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReno.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.